RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is April 20th, 2022. And as we record this show, the season debut of the PFL is going on. We will talk a little bit about the PFL here in a moment based on what was said by their CEO, Peter Murray, last week on the MMA Hour with Ariel Holwani. Also talk about Aljamain Sterling v. John McCarthy, as that kind of became a little bit of a storyline last week. Also, could John Jones, Deepay Miocic be happening in a UFC cage on July 2nd? We'll talk about that as well. Got two interviews for you. You're going to hear from two fighters. They'll be competing on Saturday at Bellator 279. You'll hear from Yancey Medeiros, who makes his Bellator debut. It'll be his first fight in Hawaii since 2009. Also, you're going to hear from Justin Gonzalez as he takes on Kai Kamaka III in a featherweight matchup. And of course, also, we'll take a look back at what happened last week uh, with the Bellator and UFC shows. Also, we'll get you previewing this week's MMA. Of course, we got Bellator on Friday, Bellator on Friday and Saturday. And, of course, UFC card there on Saturday as well. Daniel, as always, great to be talking a little MMA with you. Of course, uh, appreciate everyone downloading uh, and listening to this episode of the podcast. Do us a big favor. You leave us a rating and review, no matter what platform you listen to. That does help us out a lot as well. But, uh, you know, Daniel, a lot of things have happened since we did a podcast uh, seven days ago. I want to start off by talking about a couple of clips from the MMA Hour. And first up, let me let you hear a little bit from Al Jermaine Sterling and what he had to say about Big John McCarthy. For people, uh, there's absolutely no way you can score that round, big, stupid John McCarthy voice. Dude, go get a clue. I don't know how this guy was ever the blueprint standard of MMA because that guy sucks. His opinion stinks and it sucks. He just he just says shit. And I think he, he just wants people to think that he knows what he's talking about. Like, I think he had an MMA school. I think he had fighters. Which one of them ever did anything? What did his school ever do? Because clearly this guy is so great, right? So what has he ever accomplished other than trying to judge people and being completely wrong about the scoring criteria of the fight? If you want to have an opinion, have an opinion, John. It's okay. But it doesn't mean you're correct because you are not going by the criteria of how you score a fight. So please just be quiet and let the big boys do what they do at a high level, something you've never been able to accomplish. Relax there, buddy. Daniel, when I hear that comment, you know what the first thing that comes to my mind is? Aljamain Sterling doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, Aljamain Sterling needs a history lesson. There, there is a reason that John McCarthy is viewed as the gold print of officiating fights, whether we're talking about refereeing or judging. I hope there's someone around Aljamain Sterling over the last week that has sat there and sat him down and give him a history lesson to let him know that, hey, when it comes to the criteria, how fights are judged, you know who helped write that? John McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John McCarthy was inside the cage for UFC 2. Okay. For UFC 2, John McCarthy was inside the cage. Like, this is... This is the man who has probably got one of the biggest fingerprints on the rules of mixed martial arts as well as judging, especially. You know, I mean, I think of, of you know, so many names that come to mind, but Big John McCarthy would certainly be a part of that Mount Rushmore in terms of great influences of how the sport operates. So to criticize him in that way shows that Aljo 
just has no idea what he's talking about. I mean, we're talking about Jeff Blatnick, Big John McCarthy, Joe Silva. Those were the guys who really kind of put together the, the guidelines of the the original kind of UFC once they got past UFC 1. So to say that Big John McCarthy doesn't have any type of credibility absolutely destroys the credibility you think you might have. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things when, when I heard that comment, I was like, holy cow, does he just not know the history of John McCarthy? Like, it's one of those things that when we talk about how the sport evolves, how this sport evolves is by the committees that are set for by the Association of Boxing Mission Combative Sports. There is a MMA Rules and Regulations Committee. This is a committee that has led to changes with the unified rules over the past couple of years. You know who's on that committee? I'm going to assume Big John. Big John McCarthy is on that committee. I mean, it's like, look, like I understand where Aljo can be frustrated at someone who has a podcast that look at the end of the day and look, Big John does not need us defending him here. But I mean, look, he's on a podcast. He's going to give his opinion. Now, to Big John's credit, he said he went back and watched the fight and the first round was raised or close. But like John to me had a great comeback on Twitter. Hey, bro, don't uh, paraphrasing what he said. Hey, bro, don't get mad at me. Your own promoter thinks you lost the fight. Literally, the guy who signs your paychecks and you won't hear that type of language from Aljo towards Dana White. It's uh, and man, those comments from Dana White were kind of crazy. And it, it kind of shows you his feelings towards his Bantamweight champion. Yeah. Big John's opinion is something we can argue all day, every night, but because Aljo voiced it in a way that tried to destroy John's credibility, we can't even get into that because it's like Aljo, you're 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 living in a, a different world than everyone else, and so it's it's uh, something where Sterling continues to not do the best job, I think, of ingratiating himself to just the casual MMA fan or the hardcore MMA fan because they think this guy is just absolutely spouting BS when. Ironically, Big John's original take is probably something I wouldn't agree with. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I agree with everything that Big John says, but when it comes to how fights are scored, how fights are are worked as a referee, when there is something questionable that happens, he is the guy that I want to listen to. He's the guy I want to go to and see how he views it because, look, there is a reason he's a gold standard. Anyone who's been to an event where Big John is working, all you got to do is look at how the other referees and other judges view Big John. So I saw that clip, and I was just like, come on, Aljo, man. I hope you're trolling us at this point, but like, I I seriously hope he understands that uh, of why Big John is a gold standard but also on the ma hour peter murray the ceo of the pfl was on and of course ariel asked the question about the gambling scandal that happened earlier this month where the pfl did not fully disclose that they had a tape delayed event yeah no I mean, great question listen uh, it was a pre-recorded event it, w- it was not promoted as a live event by the league but we were working with our our broadcast partner in, in fubo tv and, and candidly, while we didn't promote it as live betting or integrate betting um, odds or content into the, into the broadcast, there was confusion, you know, confusion among fans, confusion among the sportsbook community, and we take it very serious. So we have addressed it directly, you know, with regulators, directly with sportsbooks, and um, 
while in our view, we didn't do anything wrong technically, but we're accountable. We're, you know, as, as, as you know, world-class in our view organization and sport and MMA and as a media entity, we pride ourselves on communications. And so uh, we've addressed that internally uh, to ensure that will never happen again. It was our only pre-recorded event ever. You know, we have an impeccable record over four years of executing live events with multiple sports books, um, you know, taking, uh, taking bets in the U.S. and internationally. And we don't plan on having any pre-recorded events going forward. Uh, so uh, a learning moment, and it'll be a blip, but we take it very, very seriously in our best practices. I wish there would have been a follow-up question. I, I noticed with this interview, there weren't a lot of follow-up questions, which kind of made me wonder. I will say this. So I went through my email history from that week. There was an email sent by Lauren Mack, the guy who runs the PFL's PR, on Thursday, March 31st, 2022. 4.14 Eastern time is when I got it. Official weigh-in results for 2022 PFL Challenger Series Week 7. PFL Challenger Series Week 7 to air Friday, April 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, live exclusively on FUBU's TV linear network, FUBU Sports Network. So that was the only press release that did note live. I think that was probably, that was something, it was a clerical error. I don't think they, they meant to do that. But, uh, you know, obviously, as we're doing this show, the season debut of the PFL is going on. If you go over to Best Fight Odds, the only notable sports book that is offering odds on the PFL tonight is DraftKings Sportsbook. They are a sponsor of the PFL. But I did find this very interesting. And to me, this is really not a good sign. So this was earlier today. Someone tweeted at FanDuel support. Any plans to offer odds on the PFL event tonight? The FanDuel customer support tweeted back. Thanks for reaching out. Unfortunately, due to state regulations at this time, we will not be offering Pro Fight Fighters League. We apologize for the unfortunate news. Have a great rest of your week. Daniel, That that's when I saw that tweet, that tweet was sent to me. I was like, ooh, man, that is not great news for the PFL. And the fact is, like, there really has been much of an update on this story, which also kind of makes you go, hmm, I wonder what's going on. Yeah, I mean, this story can go one of two ways. One way it could be a blip on the radar for the PFL, or the other way, it could be a major, major news story if someone with inside knowledge within that production put some money on those fights. So that is a, is a story that only time will tell how significant that one week is. Obviously, there are already ramifications when you talk about not being able to gamble on a PFL fight if you aren't using DraftKings, which obviously the relationship being the sponsor, I guess, helps PFL. It makes you wonder if we would have any odds anywhere if they weren't in a business deal with those two two uh, companies, DraftKings and PFL. I would wonder if there would be odds of PFL and DraftKings if they weren't. But, yeah, I mean, I, I got a question for you. You know, I felt like Peter did a good job of answering Ariel's question. For sure, in terms of like he didn't deflect too much. He he he, he said they were accountable, etc. What would your follow up question have been? Because to me, when you do have Peter Murray on the MA Hour, I would definitely want to dig into this topic for a while because it's it, it's a topic that was on Sports Center. It was on the front page of ESPN. It was a major news story. It was crazy. 
What kind of follow-up questions would you have had for Peter Murray? First off, I would have brought that up that press release first off and say there is one piece of document from your own PR director, a press release that went out. That'd be my first thing. The second thing would be is DraftKings Sportsbook is one of your sponsors. You didn't want to tell one of your sponsors that you had a tape delay show that you know takes bets on fights? Yeah. And the first thing is, like, if you're just going to do a tape delay show, come out and say it. That's all they had to do. If they would have come out and said, hey, we tape these shows, make up something. There was some obligation with the venue. We couldn't hold on that night. So we did these shows. Like, just be transparent. But to me, like, when I saw that comment to me was a very well-written-out PR statement because I think PFL is in crisis mode in case something bad happens. And as I was told about two weeks ago, that if it is someone inside the PFL that was involved in this, this is federal charges will come. Yeah, this is a, a very serious situation. And you you are right to, to keep an eye on this one. And, and what we shall see, it'll be interesting to see if anything else develops. I have a feeling something will and you're right to touch on the fact that, like, towards the end of that answer, he talked about how, look, in the future, we're not going to have any more pre-recorded events, so we can't even do it. And, like, that's not the point, right? Like, the UFC mm-hmm. and Bellator, well, I don't remember the last time UFC was a pre-recorded, but Bellator does do pre-recorded events sometimes. And, you know, 1FC does pre-recorded events sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with doing pre-recorded events. You know, don't put the ownership on the fact that you did a pre-recorded event. It's just making sure that you are not – in any way having odds of fights that have already taken place. And uh, clearly to me, I think the benefit of the doubt, this was a clear miscommunication. And I I think that's what most people would agree on. That's what I think did happen. But that's the part where the accountability has to happen, where that just can't happen again. And you would think that would be something you would monitor as a fight organization leading up to the fight. One thing that I did find interesting uh, earlier today, so it was a press release, uh, I think it was about tonight's event, and and a blurb of it was, Professional Fire League is the number two MMA company globally and features an elite talent roster with 25% of its fighters independently ranked in the top 25 in the world, including PFL, 2021 PFL champions Kayla Harrison and Ray Cooper III, which I thought the claiming that they have, you know, 25% of the roster is ranked in the top 25 was interesting. And so I tweeted out that little blurb and I said, as an MMA fan, do you agree with the statement from a PFL press release that I just received? Going to a deep dive with this on the various rankings, but curious how the MMA community views this claim by the PFL. Uh, Chris goes, uh, by objective metrics, you can't, you can't agree. However, for me, they are because their fights are accessible and easy to watch and every fight has meaning. I can't say yes to any of those three things for Bellator. Uh, next one, this was uh, from uh, at Crying Hawaiian. If UFC won Bellator and PFL are on at the same time with their best fighters fighting at the same time, I'm watching UFC first. Number two, honestly, is a hard choice between one and, P- and Bellator. PFL last. I like all four, but PFL ain't there yet. Uh, Danny Sanders goes, LOL. The only two named fighters are their so-called number two. And, uh, you know, he brings up a point about, you know, Danny says, plus they are talking about having fights on pay-per-view and they can't name other fighters you should tune in to watch, which, I mean, look, I think the PF, the, the, the pay-per-view thing you can talk to, but I did look at the fight matrix rankings. 
So there's 72 fighters that are under uh, that are currently in this season for the PFL. 14 of those are in the top 25. So it's about I think I want to say it was about uh, 18%. The thought that the thing that I found really interesting about this, wouldn't you think Rory McDonald would be in the top 25 of the fight matrix welterweight rankings? I would think so. Where's he at? He's not in the top 25. I only looked through the top 25. No. You know who was in the top 25? Who? Glyson Tebow. Well, that's crazy. So I mean. <laughs> they have, so they have none at heavyweight, one at light heavyweight being Antonio Carlos Jr., two at welterweight, Ray Cooper third, and Glyson Tebow. And then a majority of these fighters are either at men's lightweight or female lightweight. Manfio, uh, Albin Mercier, Schultz, Collard, Pettis, uh, Kabalov, Wade, Harrison, Bud, Pacheco, and, and Marina. So um, it, it was interesting to me, you know, I mean, kind of, they're pretty close to that 25% number. I was actually kind of surprised by that but by, based on it. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things of, I think with the PFL, it's, you know, we just want to see great fights. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're, you're tuning into ESPN. That's all we're asking for it, well, that, it, yeah, is great fights. That, that number really changes if you take out the women lightweight division. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a big number, <laughs> big difference change. I mean, that's, I mean yeah. that's obviously key with that. By the way, the other big uh, news items that came out uh, Saturday after UFC, John Jones, Stipe Miocic. I refuse to potentially get excited about this one, Daniel. Yeah, I haven't gotten excited about anything John Jones related until I see the man weigh in. I mean, he must hold the record for most fights canceled, most rumors about fights happening, most uh, things. John Jones is like the ultimate 30 for 30 when it comes to 15 years down the line. This man is probably the greatest fighter of all time, bar none. He's had success. But he would have had so much more success if it wasn't for all the trouble he got into outside of the cage. So it would be great to see him fight again, obviously. He probably is the GOAT. And to see him fight Stipe would be a a hell of a fight. It wouldn't be number one. Obviously, the number one fight to me is John Jones and Francis Ngannou. That, to me, John Jones, Francis Ngannou, like, literally would be the biggest fight in the history of the sport, in my opinion. I mean, I think it would be. You know what's going to happen in the next month or so. Let's What's go that? to Dana White's playbook. John Jones don't want to fight. Yeah. Because it's going to be John Jones is going to want to get paid, and the UFC is not going to want to pay that number. And and yeah. Dana White could go to his playbook of, hey, that guy don't want to fight. Yeah, because he won't take the money you want. It's kind of like, I feel like we're going to hear about that with Henry Cejudo. I feel like yeah. it's already started with Dana White with that. I think it already has. I think he can just copy and paste his messaging and just take out Henry Cejudo's name and put in John Jones's name. It'll be interesting. But for Jones, I mean... God, that's probably something he needs is some type of structure. I mean, who would you pick in that fight? Man. I mean, oh, wow. I would, I'd still pick John Jones, but, like, you know, the thing is, he's been gone for so long. I mean, you think about it, we had not entered the pandemic yet the last time John Jones fought. Yeah. Stipe's getting older, though. I, I think I'm picking Stipe, but it's close. I mean, the fact that, yeah, we haven't entered the pandemic since he last fought, I mean— but, you know, John, John Jones continues to, you know, he, how many blemishes on his record are there? There's the only one is, is the Matt Hamill fight. Yeah. And there's a couple of performances where he nearly lost to Santos and to Alexander Gustafsson. But I, I would pick Stipe just because of all the BS going around John Jones having not fought for such a long time, all the distractions and the fact that, you know, Stipe is probably like the third best heavyweight on the planet. You know, I, I would probably put him behind like 
like Francis, obviously. And, and I, I think Siro God deserves to be ahead of him at this point. I mean, look, it's, I would love to see the fight, but at this point, I'm just not going to get excited because while well, we've been down this road plenty of times before, uh, you know, take a look back at what happened last weekend at Bellator 277 and UFC Vegas 51, you know, first off, I mean, I, there's so many different ways we can go there, but let's just start with, uh, the main event of the UFC car. Bilal Muhammad goes out there and gets a decision win there over Vicente Luque. And now it kind of comes down to is how do you match this thing up? Obviously, Usman Edwards seems to be the path we're going. If I'm Leon Edwards, I'm hoping that contract gets signed soon because Usman really wants this Connor fight. I don't want to see it, but it should be Edwards. But like to me, if I was going to match make the top of this division, to me, it would be Usman versus Edwards. I would go then Covington, Hamzat, and then Burns versus Bilal. That's a perfect fight, and I, I, I think that's the best way to go about it. Simply put, Bilal Muhammad is not the sexiest dude at the bar. I hate to say it. He's damn good, but that main event was lackluster. It was a bit of a boring fight, and no one watching that fight, I think, is excited to see Bilal Muhammad maybe fight for a championship. I think people watching that fight who know about Luke, know about Muhammad, have to be impressed with the skill level of Muhammad. I mean, he clearly won that decision. He was able to utilize wrestling to to ensure that he got his hand raised. Uh, there, there was a hairy moment for him in that fight. So skill-wise, he established himself as a clear top five welterweight. No doubt about it. Those top five are, are really locked in but below the champion. But Muhammad isn't a draw. He isn't someone who's going to garner eyeballs. So when you're looking at this welterweight division, Covington and, and Hamza are, are two guys that do just that. I'm so done with rematches. I'm so done with rematches. So I don't want to see Hamayev take on Burns again. I'm so done with immediate rematches. I don't want to see that. Pitbull McKee three fight. I don't want to see it because and maybe you can blame Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueroa. I'm just so tired of these championship rematches. Not that they aren't. It just feels like every time we get a close fight, we ask for a damn rematch. And I feel like eight years ago, that wasn't the case. Got sidetracked there. More of the story is Covington Chemayev. That's a pay-per-view main event. Covington versus Muhammad, that's not. Chemaya versus Muhammad, that's not. So if you have an opportunity to make a pay-per-view main event, you got to do it if you're the UFC. Usman versus Edwards with Covington and Chemaya for top two, whew, you're going to get a lot of people watching that pay-per-view. Here's my takeaway from McKee and Pitbull. I think you was very clear what team made the better adjustments after fight one heading into fight two. I think Pitbull's team did a, a beautiful job of forcing AJ McKee to fight his fight. As I'm watching this fight live, Daniel, we get through four rounds and Antonio McKee tells AJ he's up for nothing. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. Did he just tell his son he's up for nothing? I'm like, what fight is he watching? Because like it was, it was a technical close fight. It's not a robbery. I scored for AJ McKee personally. I had it three two AJ McKee. To me, three two either way. If you tell, I, I've talked to people who said they had three two for Pitbull. I've got no problem with that scorecard. Now, now the four four the four rounds to one Pitbull scorecard. I I can't get on top of that one. That that one to me is weird. But like I'm sitting there going. And then, I mean, poor AJ McKee, that facial reaction, 
is now going to be a meme forever because first off, you got to blame your father a little bit there. Uh, but also I think if you're AJ McKee, you know, he fought like you got to beat, you got to, you got to beat the champ to be the champ instead of going out there and fighting his fight. You know, look, I understand why you don't want to see that rematch. I mean, McKee's talking about he wants to go to 55. Patricio is saying that I'm only going, you know, I'm not going to go up a division of just for a regular fight. A belt's got to be on the line. You know, we'll, we'll see if they can make that thing happen there. My biggest takeaway is, is Antonio McKee telling his son he's up 4 nothing. I'm like, what are you watching? That was nuts. Um, I had Pitbull winning the first three rounds, and I had McKee winning the last two. To me, the difference in this fight was the leg kicks of Patricio. That was, to me, the best weapon we saw in the early half of this fight. Look, I don't want to see this fight happen because I just watched them fight for 25 minutes, and the only two words I can come up with is missed opportunity. This was a missed opportunity for one of these guys to become and elevate their game because no one watched that fight and, and wanted to see the, these guys like go – like their brands were not upgraded. This was a boring fight. It was a boring, lackluster fight. And when you want to prove that you're like the best in the world, you got to take some chances. And the chances were, I understand it was technical because obviously for Patricio, you don't want to do what happened last time and take that risk, overextend yourself and end up asking the referee where you are. But because these two guys had so much respect for each other and were fighting so technically as a viewer, this was, this was a, like a boring fight, bro. This was like you don't need to take NyQuil, you don't need to take Ambien. Watch this main event, and so I think it's a it's a missed opportunity because these are the two best fighters in the history of the promotion. I think it had quite a few eyeballs on it compared to other Bellator fights, and it, it just left me with a bad taste in my mouth because it was a bad main event. Yeah, I mean, I want to say uh, the uh, main event peaked to two hundred fourteen thousand viewers. I want to say I saw. Uh, by the way, the co-main event it had its own uh, piece of controversy. Uh, Corey Anderson. Man, the tide turns this matchup. He is just dominating. What's it? Four seconds left in, in the uh, third round, and a accidental headbutt opens up a cut. And so I reached out to some people on the regulatory side just to confirm what I was, I believe, was true. If Corey Anderson doesn't say anything, and Frank Trigg does not stop that matchup before the final bell in the third round. Corey Anderson has a million dollars in his bank account right now, and he's the Bellator light heavyweight champion. It just shows it's always not great to be a good sport in MMA. I know, dude. Five measly seconds is the difference between having that money in his bank account, being the champion, etc. It would have gone to a technical decision, and it would have. It was a weekend of technical decisions. I mean, we had two on the UFC card. You've got to feel bad for Corey Anderson because, damn. He dominated against Vadim Nemkov. This was a hell of a performance. I think obviously the rematch has to happen because obviously they need to crown a winner of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix and they got to dole out the money. But it's a rematch that, that like, like we should just give Corey the money because he was clearly the better fighter that night. No, you know, you know what my big takeaway from the aftermath of this one is? What's that? No one in the Corey Anderson corner knew the rule. Yeah, because he was so disappointed when it was ruled out. And I kind of got that sense watching him because he was all jovial and, and happy. And, oh, man, I, I can't blame him for his reaction. He threw his mouthpiece and he was upset. But, like, I would be upset, too, if I thought I had a million dollars and on 
I, I find out in that way that no, sir, you do not. It, because yeah, it's so it, it's, it wasn't even intentional. It was such an incidental correct. action. So to explain the rule, if it would have been a three round fight, they would have gone to the judges' scorecards at that point. But because it was a twenty five minute fight, in a twenty five minute fight, you must complete. 15 minutes before you can go to the scorecards uh, who knows maybe maybe that rule changes at some point i mean you know i think that we have a, a leadership in terms of the regulatory side that you know they look at how things happen and maybe look at and see can things potentially change there i will say this i think it's a legitimate debate of whether or not Corey anderson is the best light heavyweight in the world however Corey anderson is going to have to realize in terms of majority of the mma community if you don't fight in the UFC, they're just not going to call you the best fighter in the world. Yeah, he's going to have to pile a lot of bodies to get an undisputed claim like that. But he certainly has a claim uh, for that. You know, if you're Nemkov, what the hell do you do in this rematch, Jason? I mean, Corey controlled what happened in this fight. Like, what the hell does Nemkov have to do to, to make this interesting? Keep it on the feed and stop the takedowns. Because if this thing goes to the ground, it's it's over. Yeah, I just don't know if there's a master class he can take that's going to change that. But you're totally right. He has to, as soon as he can get back in the gym, and you know, apparently that cut was super deep. That has to be the priority. I, I just don't think you know he he would be able to do that. And I, and I do think when you look at all the light heavyweights on the planet, I don't know if there's a guy that would be able to defend the takedowns of Anderson. By the way, there is someone we need to offer kudos to from last weekend. Who's that? That would be Al Dawson. The reporter who reports on MMA and boxing who calls out Munir Laziz for shouting out Daniel Kanan, who had just been sanctioned by the U.S. The U.S. is trying to find this guy. And then Al is basically hammering him at the post-fight press conference. And he and Munir Laziz acts like he has no clue what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Kudos, uh, Al Dawson, man. You know, there's a lot of these times in... MMA p- press conferences, it is tough questions aren't asked. Let's just be honest about it. But I got to give some kudos to Al Dawson for, for hammering Munir Laziz for what he said. Yeah, and then being asked, like, do you have any questions, aren't this? And nope. nope. And I, yeah, <laughs> Dude, I love it, man. That is the best line. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poor, poor Munir, because he had a good performance, you know? It outstruck the dude, continues to showcase that. But yeah, just don't shut out criminals. Right, like that should be a part of the uh, part of the uh, you know, instruction. I, I will say, you know, you know who I'll give a shout out to. It, it was a, I'll give two shout outs. One is uh, Sam Hughes, the strawweight on the prelims. That was a really good fight between Sam Hughes and Stella Nunez because Hughes, I believe, uh, I don't know what the hell happened, but from the way until the fight, she had a freaking cut on her nose. And it's like, how the hell did you get a cut on your nose in between the weigh-in and in the fight? Like, I want to know how that happened. But in round one, Estela Nunez pieces her up on the feet. But Hughes recovers, uses wrestling. And it, to me, it was her heart and, 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 and the soul that allowed her to get that win. Obviously, a point was deducted from Nunez due to an illegal foul. But I wanted to shout out Sam Hughes because there was a whole crap load of fights uh, this weekend, and and that really stuck out to me. To see her emotion when she got the W was really nice. And I, I do think the one fight that to me is going to stick out to me, and I'll remember for a long time, will be the Lennon Vassell, uh, Timothy Johnson fight on Bellator. 
that was a great fight because Timothy Johnson, I thought, had Vassell finished. I kind of glanced away from my screen. I come back. I see the fight's over, and I'm like, yeah, Timothy Johnson won. <laughs> Wait, I did a double take. Oh, crap, Vassell won. So that was a fun back-and-forth fight where Vassell was uh, nearly finished, but he's able to turn the tie, get on top, and finish things off. Yeah, uh, Aaron Pico looked great as well. I mean, unfortunately for him, that Jeremy Kennedy, you know, pulled out of the fight. And uh, Adley Edwards, did you have to see that payday for Adley Edwards? What was it? Fifty thousand dollars. That's I did not. That's awesome bro, for him. Bro, I mean, wow. If, if and this kind of shows you the difference between the UFC and Bellator. If Adley Edwards went to the UFC right now, he's making twelve and twelve. Homeboy yeah. got paid 50K flat. And yeah. I'll tell you what, I mean, some of those body punches he took, I think drop a lot of featherweights and, and kudos for him for able to to keep it going there. I mean, I look, I hope Aaron Pico gets a big matchup in his next one. Um, you know, whether maybe they try to rebook that fight against Jeremy Kennedy or maybe give him someone like a Maz Burnell. Um, you know, we'd love to see Aaron Pico go up against someone there in the top five. Of course, uh, you know, coming up this weekend, we got another major weekend of MMA. We got two Bellator events, also a UFC fight card. Before we get into that, I'll let you hear about from one of the fighters I have on the show this week. You're here from Yancey Medeiros, who makes his Bellator debut on Saturday as he's going to be taking on Emmanuel Sanchez. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man we're going to see inside the Bellator cage here on Saturday night. Bellator 279. Yancey, uh, appreciate the time. So I was looking back, and the last time you fought in Hawaii, 2009 Destiny MMA. You got a TKO win there uh, that yeah. night. Uh is there anything about that night that that still kind of sticks in your memory? Um, well, at that time when I was fighting in Hawaii, I was fighting at two hundred five. So all those guys is just like <laughs> I just remember being the smaller. Like anytime I was fighting in Hawaii, I was just like I felt I had that chip on my shoulder because I was just on, I wasn't athletic. You know, I just I just trained. I was all chubby and whatnot. So every time I see these big guys, these two hundred five, they all had muscles, bodybuilder. Like I was like. I'm gonna knock you out, bro. <laughs> That's just, that was just my point. But like now, you know, now now I'm a little bit more experienced, and you know, I still got that I still got that chip on my shoulder. But I mean, it's obviously a more calculated risk now. <laughs> Take more more calculated risk than chances. I mean, would you say as a fighter, you have to kind of have like a, a healthy chip on your shoulder? Yeah, for sure, most definitely. It takes it takes. Being a martial artist, a fighter, an athlete, it takes a lot to get in there. Whether it's the field, the court, the ring, or the octagon, bro. You know, I don't, I don't take that walk for you, and I don't perform for anyone. So, I understand that there's a lot of variables to take in person, per, um, with emotions, the personality, everything, bro. Weight cut. We humans, bro. We emotional beings. So everybody acts different for certain, a lot of situations. <laughs> On Instagram, you're not a guy that posts a ton. So it's yeah. one of those things where in, in what you're just kind of saying there about the, the mental side of this game. So this was from 12 weeks ago where you uh, your caption was, you spend most of your life in your head, make sure it's a nice place to be, which kind of made me think about, you know, you, you hear athletes talk about whether we're talking about fighting, baseball, basketball, football, whatever sport is they, they talk about like, yeah, there's obviously a physical component to, to be able yeah. to, to excel, but it's as much in your head. Is that what it's kind of like for you as, as you look at like your the way you view the fight game? Yeah, I mean, everything starts with thought, right? You know, you look at it and you do. So, I mean, for me, it's 
every like when when it, when when I think about like everything, it's in your head. It's more like, bro, you have you can only control what you can control, and you can only dictate what you can. It's as is life, right? So yeah, yeah. everything I take, like when I think like that, I I lose expectations for anything, and I just hope for the best, and I do the best. For instance. I try and make, I guess, things unconditional and not have expectations. Good example is me telling a loved one I love them and they don't tell me I love you back. I said I love them because I love them. I never expect them to tell me I love you back. That's a condition that's grown over the years, right? You know, and those are things that fighting and being a martial artist made me notice more like, Oh, I am a I am a good person. I am a happy guy. I am a martial artist, and I want to perpetuate that and make that better. So throughout this whole journey, like all of that has made me a better human being. You know, martial artist, and the journey is always in your head, bro. And home is it home home is in here. It isn't a place. You know, it's in you. And I'm able to do that with with myself and martial arts and fighting, being able to be able to keep myself at home. You know, be homely because when you're homely, when you're at home. Usually it's a safe, it's a safe place. It's a, it's a haven, right? And there's two homes here and this earth. So anywhere I go, I always make it my home because what else is there to do? Like, I gotta be homely. I gotta be peaceful. Like, I gotta be able to give, you know, we're, we're a bunch of, we're a bunch of consumers, bro. (laughs) All of us, we're consumers. That's, that's, that's the, that's the matrix we're in, right? So I want to break that. And I definitely feel martial arts and the people I've connected with over these years has perpetuated that and you know just keep that Hawaiian wave of aloha going and just being human being Hawaiian is just being human bro you connect with people you, you're unconditional about what you expect wait when the white man came to Hawaii he was like oh bro yeah take everything <laughs> you know what I mean like we just we just love we give yeah. like that's just how we are so Knowing those things, having truth, having humor behind it makes life way more acceptable for me. Shit happens. What do we do about it? What can I do about it? Yes, yes, things has happened to us before, but that's life, bro. Life is unfair. There's a lot of people that are more fortunate than others, and I'm blessed that I am fortunate. That's That's why I keep myself this way. I don't wake up and get another island next to me trying to bomb me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's way more, worse other things than this. So I try and keep accountable for all of that. And the way to do that is to be accountable in yourself and your mistakes. And then you're able to see the world and look at it in a better place instead of thinking it's, it's, it's bad. No, it's good. It's, it's unfair, but we good, bro. <laughs> and, and your fight here at Bellator 279 be only your third fight since 2020. Like as you think of the last two years. I mean, I guess like you could sit there and say, man, it sucks. I I haven't been able to compete as much as I like to, but hearing you talk, maybe you think of you're the type of guy that you're not looking at the, the con side of it. You're looking at the, at the pros of, of how you've grown as a martial arts and a person. Yes. 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 Like, like is it, is it a, has it been a frustrating two years just in terms of not being able to compete? From that aspect? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of frustration. You know what I mean? Who isn't frustrated with things? And things don't always work out the way you want it to. But I feel like everything happens for a reason. I didn't get to renegotiate after my last fight in um, in last summer. But look what's happening now. Like, Hawaii came up, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is... This is my calling. Like, this is the reason why. This is the reason why when I first started fighting, Scott Coker gave me that chance. I was in Strikeforce. I forget, 2011, and the cameras came on me. I was like, 
oh, it's time to show up, Hawaii. Thank you for this. I know where I belong. I belong here. I belong perpetuating myself, my brand, and representing Hawaii. And now I can just do that back at home again. But I'm excited. Next week, it's all those feels again. And it's not... It's honestly a bit foreign for me because right now I'm usually acclimating to the time of wherever I'm fighting, and usually I'm in M- enemy territory. Yeah. So you know, it's the whole it's the whole switch of you know the roles are switched, but it still feels foreign because it's like, bro, I'm at home, like I'm over here waking up, like the sun's in my eye, you know, like I'm like, oh, I don't need to acclimate to no cold weather or anything. It's it's great. So I'm gonna use all the advantages I have now and just push that towards all. Uh, April 23rd, bro, against Emmanuel. So when this fight was announced, the word I used, banger. Was that, is that kind of when, when they give you the call, they say, hey, we want to put you on this card. Oh, by the way, we want to get you a put against Emmanuel Sanchez. Because, I mean, look, when you think Emmanuel, I mean, look, he's going to keep coming, keep coming. You know, is that, was that your mindset when the fight got offered? Bet. You know, like, I think me and him is on that same page and proving to everybody that we, we are top tier fighters. You know, he's, he's coming off losses. I'm coming off losses. And I, I know that we both hate losing more than we like winning. So we both got a lot to prove to ourselves. April 23rd and Emmanuel Sanchez, you gonna get all my aloha brother. And we'll, we'll put on a good show for Hawaii. He's a, he's a perfect, he's a perfect opponent for me because we both want to put on a show. And like I'm gonna start this, I'm gonna start this fight with Aloha, and I'm gonna end it with Aloha. With it being at 55, outside looking in, I, I think some people would say, okay, Emmanuel's stepping up 10 pounds in, in weight, and they say, man, that's gotta be advantage for Yancey. Do do you look at it in that view, or is is do you at, from a fighter's aspect, do you look at it and say, well, he does, he's not really cutting much weight? Um, yeah, there's there's things. I take into consideration there's things I watch out for, but I train with Max all the time. Max, me and Max walk around maybe five pound difference, you know, 170, 75, like, you know, 180. So it's like, I don't really think, I think it's just going to be an easier weight cut for him. He trains with, he trains with all Pettis guys. He trains with 155. He trains with heavy guys. Like I don't, I don't even think about that as an advantage for me. I know I'm going to be bigger, which is an advantage, but I'm not like, oh, he coming up in weight and he's going to be weaker. Like, no, I fight, I fight, I battle with some strong 45ers. In fact, there's a lot of 45ers in camp with me that are actually stronger than me, which is, you know, I'm used to too. I used to fight at 205. Everyone's, I'm always used to, to somebody being stronger than me. So it's different being the bigger guy, you know, but I'm not taking that lightly. He's going to be gritty. I see how he fights. I see. I, I see what he does in big competition. So me being the bigger guy isn't. I don't feel he's threatened by that. <laughs> but I'm gonna utilize it as best as I can. You know, one of the things we hear about the fight game, uh, and a fighter initially initially said this to me a couple weeks ago, and it really stuck with me. How the fight game is the puzzle solving business. Of uh, there, there's so many pieces of the puzzle, and you're just kind of figuring it out. Is that kind of part of the start of the fight of maybe maybe you kind of want to see, like, let me see how strong he is. Let me kind of see how he relates to other guys well, I've been yeah. with. Yeah, you got to, um, it's always a feel. I'm oh, When I fight, I'm always looking for the finish, but I'm collecting as much data as I can through that whole process. And if I can't finish him fast, you know, I'm ready for the 15 fights, but 15. But yeah, I want to know what he can give me, what he can offer. You know, like, gotta, you got to feel him. If you get a good if you get a, if you get a good punch in or get good submission, you get caught. You get caught. That's the fight game. But it's definitely good to know when you when you pound it out when you guys battling. 
it takes and it's a fight bro they, they take a piece of your soul whether you like it or not you know and you, you get to you get to bro you got a part of them they made you bleed they made you sweat they it's just they did more than a lot of people did in your life you know to get you to that emotional psychological trans i guess and but i gotta give them respect you know because i'm always happy you're, you're able to make me switch into this mode you know that that i need to be in to win but at the end of the day, I always look at it as my experience. What did I take in from these experiences? And I'm trying to make me a better person, whether it's the win or the loss. Huh? And then again, we're still fighters, but at the end of the day, before I'm a fighter and an entertainer, I'm human. And how do I get better as being a human and a fighter? Because that's my vocation. But yeah, taking that in full stride, bro. When I was looking at your career, because one of the things of I was like, I, I need to see when's the last time Yancey fought in Hawaii. One of the yeah. things that really shocked me because of how long you were in the UFC, that you only fought outside the United States twice. And yeah. it made me think about obviously fighting Hawaii is a, a place you love to fight. But yeah. is there an other bucket list item location that you would love to cross off the list before you, you uh, called a career? Oh yeah, Italy, Paris, never been to Europe. Love to fight there. I'm very cultural and I feel like Europe has a lot of culture that I want to indulge in. And I think fighting fighting is my vocation that lets me travel the world, bro. Let's me travel the world and indulge in that. Like I really, really wanna I really, really wanna go to Europe. Uh freaking just you know, gladiator status. I always feel like that. I gotta go Rome and go go feel, you know, this it's just the past, it's culture, it's it's real, you know, there's substance behind, behind those things. Like I just want to, there's life and death bro, over there. Like, I just want to feel it all. <laughs> yeah. Europe is definitely on a bucket list, especially to compete. Cause I have a, fortunately I have a lot of European fans and it's super cool. They always write out and yeah. reach out to me. So I definitely want to give back to, to, to the European fans, even Asia, but Europe, most definitely Europe. Is the mindset with where you're at your career right now? It's just it's it's a one fight at a time type situation, or or are you kind of thinking bigger picture of of where you could make your run here in the 155 pound division? Well, I mean, I just did a one fight contract deal with Bellator. Scott Coker gave me this situation, and all I'm doing is putting in what I need, taking taking the most of this opportunity. I want to be active. I want to stay busy this year. If I could get two, three more fights in, that's great. Like that's always that's always the the intentions, you know, and, and, and if I, I just want to perform next week, you know what I mean? Whatever happens from there, I give my best performance and everything comes from there. Like I didn't expect to fight in Hawaii. I wanted to. And unfortunately it, it happened. Everything happened organically and naturally like it's supposed to. And I think next week things going to happen organically and naturally again, and things are going to roll, roll with how it's supposed to. I want an active year. I want an active year. I want to make money so I can pay for my, res so I can take care of my responsibilities and keep being the kid. <laughs> is, is, is it one of those things that you won the one fight deal as a way of betting on yourself to kind of, to, to show Scott uh, of, you know, and, and help yourself out at the, the contract negotiating table? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's when I seen it, I was like, oh, oh, one fight bet. Like, you know, like I didn't even, I kind of just browsed through it, seen the payout and whatnot. And it's like, I just wanted to fight, bro. Like I bought a bunch of tickets for my fans, yeah. for people, like just to, you know what I mean? I might be losing money in this fight just because I want to fight, but it's not, this is more than money. This is about yeah. giving back. This is about, this is about the act of service. And like, I'm fortunate that 
my services is me competing and people look forward to that and they happy about that. And if I can give them to that, if I can give back to them in that way, then great, because I've always wanted to give back to them like that since I left this Island to, to represent them. And I finally be able to do that. And how I'm going to do that is just being me, being the best fighter I can be that night. And everything is going to roll out, you know, maybe Scott Coker will be happy with my, with my, with my, um, performance and we're going to go from there maybe you might see another promotion be, be interested but for now i'm going to give it my all next week and focus on that busy year but focus on emmanuel sanchez because i ain't looking past him so real competitor yeah. who am i to take him lightly nah bro my full attention is on you i got this and that was my conversation with Yancey Madeiras. Appreciate him coming on the show to talk about his matchup coming up here on Saturday against Emmanuel Sanchez, which to me that has got banger written all over it. Interesting that he does he did say he's only on a one fight deal here. Um, it's, of course, this is also at 155 pounds. What does Emmanuel Sanchez look at 155? You know, interesting to kind of see maybe is this a one off for Emmanuel Sanchez or maybe does you know does he stay there at 155 pounds? I mean that that's just that's one of those fights, Daniel, that you just you look at on paper and go I gotta find my way to watch that thing yeah there's quite a few fights like that but dude to see like, like across both the ufc and bellator and, and i do think the yancey fights there but to see yancey madero's fight in hawaii is going to be awesome like he to me is going to have a command of the crowd and his fighting style has always been super exciting so when you look at like the 40 fights we have ahead of us for this this weekend that one is circled and sharpied and checked marked that I guarantee you it'll be something we talk about next week. Yeah, I mean, look, it should be a great matchup. He, you know, he joked in the interview about the fact of he might be losing money because he's bought so many tickets for his fans being there. It'll be his first fight in Hawaii since 2009. You know, the, and, and the crazy thing, and I brought this up in the interview, for as long as he was in the UFC, he only fought two times overseas, both in Brazil. And when I brought the question of, you know, hey, where's kind of the bucket list item? I thought like he was going to say, hey, I'd love to fight Japan. Or, and then he mentioned Paris. He mentioned Europe, which kind of made me. You got to imagine that, you know, Scott, Co he's probably in the long-term plans with Scott Coker unless he, he puts up a, a dud on Saturday. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is a guy Scott Coker has been in business with since Strike Force, yeah. And he knows the type of fighter he is. So. I think win or lose, and, and there's a high probability he does lose because Emmanuel Sanchez is damn tough. You know, Yancey's, Yancey's going to be a guaranteed barn burner if you match him up with a guy who's not going to wrestle him. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's – man, there's a lot of great freaking fights, bro. Yeah, and something to note about the Bellator fights this weekend, of course, this weekend kicks off the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. Uh, I reached out to Bellator earlier today to ask about the round structure for this, the wild card matchups, which will both be taking place on Friday night, those are three round fights. The quarterfinal matchups on Saturday, those will be five round fights. Of course, that's Koji Horiguchi taking on Patchy Mix, also Rafion Stouts and Juan Archuleta. Of course, they're fighting for the interim lightweight title matchup. Uh, you know, Enrique Barzola has got a new opponent in uh, Nikita, um, and of course Lugo and, and Sabatello. I, I think really that's just going to come down to a fight of. If you tell me that fight plays out on the feet, I, I think Jornel Lugo's got a really good shot at winning. But if you tell me that uh, it plays out on the ground, to me, that's going to be Danny Sabatello. Um, I do like Barzola over there uh, in, in the other matchup. You got uh, Velasquez and Carmouche. Um, you know, I was uh, I was listening to uh, Big John and Josh Thompson kind of talk about Liz Carmouche. And, you know, you, you think about MMA history. How different is the history book for Liz Carmouche 
if she's able to pull off that neck crank against Ronda Rousey. Like if you, like you, I mean, it was so long ago. I think we sometimes you, we forget about it, but like she was probably inches away from submitting Ronda Rousey. Yeah, that's true. That's true, man. The history books would be complete. I mean, she would. I don't know. She'd probably already be in the UFC Hall of Fame. I think with that honor to to be the first to, to win that fight, to be the first female UFC champion. That's crazy to think about. You know, Liz Carmouche has been so underrated, and this is kind of a a moment for her to get a championship around her waist. And I think she's the pick here. And I think it was a matter of would she fight for the title with the Lee Malayas champion? Well, she doesn't need to worry about that anymore. She takes on Juliana Velasquez. So, you know, Carmouche has always been someone who's had a very strong takedown game and really dominant with top position grappling. So I, I do think she wins wins this one big time. I, I kind of wish that Yancey fight was on the main card on, for, on uh, 278. It's hidden there on prelims on 279, and I feel like you could replace, you know, Nate Andrews and Manny Murrow with that Yancey fight. I'm wondering if that maybe has to do of maybe Yancey wanted to be in front of his fans um, on Saturday because the Friday is a fight for the troop show. Maybe, I, I have no idea if that's what it's about. Um, I like I, the thing with, with Juliana Velasquez is I think Carmouche will have trouble with the length that Velasquez has. Uh, obviously, the Carmouche team is very familiar. You know, obviously training alongside Lee McFarlane. Alima Lee fights on Saturday. What does she look like? It's been a long road back, uh, you know, for her in that one. Of course, you got Cyborg headlining uh, against Arlene Blanco. I don't see this rematch going any different than the first one went. Arcelot's thoughts. I mean, Max, uh, uh, Patchy Mix, and Horaguchi. Uh, just great fights there. Uh, Justin Gonzalez taking on Kai Kamaka the third. You'll hear from Justin Gonzalez here uh, momentarily. You got Gochi Amuchi. Now at welterweight. <laughs> this guy was a 145er at one point. It's insane, bro. It is insane, but he better not miss weight this time. Um, I, I I think he's going to have some success. There's there's a lot of good stuff on this prelims to check out, right? Like Lance Gibson Jr. is on there, too. I'm, I'm excited for this card. I, I think Horiguchi and, and Mix, I mean, I think that's the best fight all weekend. I do. Uh, I, I like Horiguchi to rebound off the Sergio Pettis loss and kind of return to form. But this is kind of similar to like the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics in the NBA playoffs, where it just feels like the winner of that series is going to be in the finals. And it kind of, I get that same feeling between Mix and Horiguchi, uh, as long as Rafael and Stouts isn't their next matchup, because, you know, I think Stouts will beat Archuleta. Yeah, I mean, like, look, as I look at the best fights this weekend, uh, a great one, a one-two punch combination with those Bantamweight uh, tournament fights here of Archuleta, Stotts, Mix, and Horiguchi. Um, I, I do like the Lamos and Andrade matchup on Saturday in the main event of the UFC card. You know, also the UFC card, Manel Kopp is someone that really has got me interested. Vanetta Jordan, I think, should be a fun fight as well. I will tell you, I think the under-the-radar fight on Bellator 279 is actually slated to be the opening fight of that fight card on the prelims. Hione Diggs and Bobby King. I think that's kind of a, a, a little fun little fight there. But I think overall, I mean, the Bellator 278 card, let, let's be honest about it. On paper, not the most exciting card, especially when you compare it to, to Saturday's 279. I mean, 279, to me, is is a card, a great card, top to bottom. By the way, I mentioned about I talked to Justin Gonzalez. going to let you hear that interview right now as I had a chance to speak with him about his matchup here against Kai Kamaka III. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man will be a part of Bellator 279, April 23rd, of course, live on Showtime. Justin, as always, man, uh, appreciate the time. How's things been, man? 
Hey, things been good, brother. Things have been good. My life is great right now. About ready, just under two weeks out. Get till showtime, man. Get to go play a little bit. Looking forward to it. I'm excited. Are, are we pretty much in that uh, that last grinding week of uh, of preparations? Yeah, um, you actually caught me. I just got out of practice not too long ago. So uh, just kind of winding down, eating a little bit of lunch, handling business, getting to talk with you, brother, getting to enjoy it. So um, this is the last hard week. We'll start tapering down probably towards the end of the week a little bit. And then uh, next week, it just handle business, wait, uh, maintenance, and, and then we go handle business. You know, I, I was thinking about this matchup and, you know, and, and thinking about, I mean, I understand there's pressure on every side of a fight. Do you feel in any way there's more pressure on your opponent because he's fighting back in his home state? Man, that's that's a tough one. You know, I always like fighting in front of my home crowd. I feel like yeah, you uh, you get a little extra... Um, how do I want to say it? like energy or just like the atmosphere radiates for you, you know? Um, but Hey, you know, you got a tough opponent coming in who uh, might fuck you up. So there is always that pressure of looking dumb in front of your hometown, you know, in front of your people. So um, yeah, I would say so. There's always pressure either way about it. You mentioned about, Hey, you love the fight in your hometown, but now you're going in, you're going into his backyard. Do you, there's a lot yeah. of guys who say they, they, they love that environment. They love being in that, in that place. Are, are you the same way? A little bit, man. You know, it's, I've been an athlete for a long time. I've wrestled on some big stages. I have fought on some big stages. Um, haven't always been in the coolest, uh, the nicest territory, you know, um, for lack of better words, I guess, but Hey, you know, I'm coming to steal the hype. I'm coming for it all, man. I'm excited to get back on that win side. I'm excited to come out there and put on a dominant performance and just go handle business, man. I put in the work, so um, everything will fall into place and it'll go as it needs to for me. Yeah, I, I was talking to Kylo earlier, and you know, he had said to me, he said he's like, man, there there is some history here between us with you know Ryan Schultz and his family back in the day of fighting in Hawaii. Were were you familiar with that? Um, I knew, uh, Kai, Kai fought one of my teammates a couple of years ago. I knew that, but I didn't know about the whole difference with him and Schultz, you know, um, well, it's because one of his family members back in the day competed against him. Oh, really? Yeah. How did you know? <laughs> he did, he didn't say, he did not say, he said, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, he had I said, he, you know, he was, he was saying, he's like, he's like, look, he's like. He's like, I want to rank guy. He goes, being a, he goes, he goes, fighting Hawaii is great. He goes, but the icing on the cake for him was the fact of, hey, I'm fighting a rank guy. Um, and, and for where you're at right now, I mean, obviously, you know, Kai, I mean, people who fall MMA, they, they understand Kai's abilities. Like, a, as you think of his abilities, is there something that sticks out? Um, yo, man, he's, he's a gangster, bro. I got a lot of respect for that guy as a fighter for sure. But uh, when it comes down to it, man, I'm coming to bang. I'm coming to fuck this dude up. I'm coming to get paid. I'm coming to win. So I'm coming to get back on that win side. And uh, I need to have a dominant performance to let the world know what's up. You know, some people might look at this fight and, and say, Justin's going to use his, his grappling advantage in this one. What, what would your response be to that? Hey man, if the opportunity presents itself, why the hell not? But you know, I can bang dude. I'm not, I'm not afraid of his hands. I'm not like, dude, I'm a gangster too, man. I'm about it. So Whatever, whatever way I got to do to win, so be it. 
Is it one of those things like, you know, I mean, obviously you've got it. You're going to have a game plan going into this one, but is it more about like, man, something could happen in the first 20 seconds and all of a sudden I might realize, you know, like I've had, I, I remember having a fighter recently say to me, they said, you know, th- their game plan was to go in and stand and have a kickboxing matchup. They got in and they said, all of a sudden I realized, holy crap, I have got a major strength advantage and said game plan went completely out the window. And all of a sudden I said, you know what? I'm just going to take him down. Have you had that type of similar experience? Oh yeah, sure, man. Like we always like, I recognize what he's about. I recognize some things that he does, some habits, but uh, it's also like, that's not the way we try to fight, man. We, we focus on what me, we focus on me being better as a fighter, growing all around, evolving everywhere, you know, because I tell you what, man, there has been times where you kind of have a game plan and the game plan just ain't working. Yeah. And, if that's all you trained, you're kind of in a shitty spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to be ready for it all. There's some things that we always try to focus on a little bit, but hey, if that doesn't work, we got more tools in the bag, you know? In terms of, you know, that, that evolution of a fighter, how would you say you've evolved since uh, the last time we saw you in November? Well, shoot, man, took my first loss. That was, uh, that was a little rough, took mm-hmm. a little personal um, you know, mentally, I think just as an athlete, you know, sometimes that happens and I've always came back stronger. Um, you know, just learned, learned some things about, uh, about the game, about, uh, getting pulled into some things, um, learn some things about myself, digging deep, fighting through some, uh, adversity in some bad spots. But ultimately, you know, we just focused on those little things. We're not too far off to be the best in the world, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just had to fine tune some things add a little more to the arsenal and Hey, we're back. Is that a rear view mirror type situation for you? Or as an athlete, is it something that you kind of, you you do go back on and say, okay, this is the reason I I was not successful on that night. Um, yeah, there's some things, you know, like I took a little break, talked to my coaches and, uh, you know, we focused on it and, uh, you know, whenever I was ready, whenever the coaches were ready, we all sat down broke it down. And, uh, you know, now it is rear view, but I won't forget, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember I felt that night and it did not feel good. I hate losing. It doesn't matter if it's cards. doesn't matter if it's monopoly. doesn't matter if it's fighting. I fucking hate losing. So, you know, um, I just, I'll never forget that feeling. So what you're saying is, you know, if you're playing, say a game of spades, you're not going to let your girl win. Is that what you're saying? Nope. You can ask. <laughs> I'm the same way, bro. I have the same. I, I, I will tell you this right. I'm a sore loser. I'll tell you right now. I am. I know I, I am. Just, I don't know if it's so much that I like winning. I just hate losing. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely that. Like, But as you think about, you know, obviously you talk about getting back on track and, and continuing to, you know, build up these rankings. I, like, where do you see, what, what do you think your pathway is to, to say getting into the top five and then ultimately putting yourself in that conversation for a title shot? You know, I'm not too far off, man. Obviously, the guy I just lost who jumped into four, I believe. He's tough. He's a gamer. So, uh, at some point, I'd like to avenge that loss. But, uh, you know, let's see. Hey, right now it's Kai. That's who it's about right now. So, you know, I go put a dominant performance on him, come out with the victory. Um, then I think I jump back in the rankings and then uh, kind of just keep climbing that ladder. You know, there's a lot of potential uh, components that I can fight that – make a lot of sense so uh you know i just got to climb the ladder man and uh eventually we'll get that belt 
As a rankings voter, I was surprised that uh, you dropped out. I did. Uh, I want to say they put uh, Cody Law in, which I oh, didn't. I, think he, I thought I was nine. I think he was 10, but I'm sure there's a lot of different rankings too. So, yeah, I, I, let's just say when I saw that Cody Law was 10, I was, uh, I was a little surprised. Actually, it's, actually, I would say I was a lot surprised. He's Hey, man, he's tough. I give him some credit, but, you know. Oh, I, 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 I think he's a super talented fighter. Now this Absolutely. is this is me when I'm putting my rankings. It's not just who you are as a fighter, it's also be about the competition you're facing and yeah. I understand what the path well, is right now for him. It is a developmental get him those fights. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's uh yeah, I, I think pro fights, you know, but hey man, kudos to him. He's undefeated, you know. I was there a long time ago too, but you know, just levels of this game like, like you think when you think about when you were four fights into your pro career and, and you think about where your mindset is now, is it just night and day? Oh man. You know, I was a great fighter back then. I was very hungry. I was, I was, uh, motivated. I was very, um, I was very good at the things I did, but now I have grown levels and evolved so much to who I am today is, I am a well, way better, more rounded fighter, more uh, just smarter. And uh, just the, the things I would do to the old me is it's unparalleled, man. Like it's uncontested. I would dominate the old me for sure. And I just looked up. You are number nine in the official rankings. Okay. I just, I, I just remember when, when I saw Cody Law was 10, I was like, well, that's kind of surprising. You yeah, know? Yeah. You know, hey, man, I'm not in charge of that. All I can do is focus on me and what I go and do. So, you know, whoever's doing the rankings, that's up to them. But uh, I'll go handle my business and keep climbing that ladder like we talked about. Look, I just say, there's sometimes a photo I see with official rankings come out and go, oh, look at my rankings. Like, how far are you? Know, there's just there's some that I don't agree with. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Sometimes, too. But you know what? At the end of the day, I got to remember that's not my job. So, no, your job is definitely uh, inside that, that cage. And, of course, we'll see you here. Bellator 279, February, or April the 23rd. Justin, man, as always, appreciate the time. Of course, uh, let me know anything for you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Hey, oh, man, I just want to say love, show some love to my team. Trials MMA, Top Notch Sports Academy, all my sponsors, Five Star Schmitz Telecom, Rocky Mountain Flagging, Faithful Roofing, M. Perry's, um, 5280 Sportswear, Albert's Flooring. Thank you guys, man. Thank you guys. I appreciate y'all very much. Yo, guys, what's up? If you guys want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's JTrainXGang. You guys can see what I'm all about. And that was my conversation with Justin Gonzalez. Appreciate him coming on the show to talk about his matchup here against Kai Kamaka. Third, of course, Kai was on the podcast last week. Big matchup there at 145 pounds. Uh, but, I mean, look, you, I look at this uh, Saturday Bellator card. I think it's great. Looking at the uh, the Saturday UFC card, of course, this card has gone through a, a pair of changes. Alexander Romanov was supposed to take on Tanner Bozer. Bozer's out. Chase Sherman, who has lost, th- what, three in a row, I want to say. He gets a new UFC contract. Apparently got a bump up in pay to take this fight against Romanoff. Um, Chase Sherman somehow has got to try to get this fight in the third round and, and wear down Romanoff, but I think Romanoff just takes him down early on and just smashes him out. Uh, also, uh, a change on this 
on this fight card is uh, Evan Elder is replacing Lewis Koski, who's supposed to take on Preston Parsons. Evan Elder trains out of Sanford MMA. He was supposed to headline uh, the FAC show come up on May 86th. That is James Krause's promotion. So he steps up here to take on Preston Parsons. Daniel, when I was looking at this fight card, there's one thing I really got to question in the UFC. Is it about Mike Jackson? Yes. Why, why, why is Mike Jackson getting a UFC fight? I don't know. I've got, look, I've got nothing against Mike Jackson, but why is Mike Jackson still in the UFC? I'm excited. I'm going to see, Ken, will the O go? You know, will Mike Jackson get his first win in the UFC? Who knows? Well, what's his, What's the odds here for Mike Jackson here against Dean Barry? Uh, I, when I looked last night, uh, Dean Barry was almost a 12-to-1 betting favorite. It was tw- he had he – was, he was plus 12 I – mean, he was minus 1,200? Yeah. Holy. I'm, pull, I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, Dean Barry, uh, he ranges anywhere from a 10-to-1 favorite to as much as a 12-to-1 uh, favorite. Look, man. Look, I'm uh, I'm riding with Team Jackson here. All right, I uh, to see him win, that would be hilarious. That would be awesome too. Like, yeah, I, why is he here? I don't know. I mean, he did the UFC a favor, uh, you know, fighting Punk, and maybe that's why. Yeah, but still, I don't know, man. I, he probably- I love, like if you're Dean Barry, when like it makes me wonder when you got when the fight offer came in, did they go? Are they punking us? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta feel great about fighting for, for in a UFC, getting a fight under your belt, and if your opponent, you know, you're uh, a major favorite like that, bro. But I, it's so peculiar. I will be interested, but I think it might look similar to that fight we saw with um, Jakar Close last weekend, where there was just a massive disparity in skill level, and it was apparent. So you know, I have my eye on that one just because it's interesting. Tyson Pedro, too, a light heavyweight, uh, going up against Ike Villanueva. I'm glad you brought that up because, that to me, that is one of the more interesting stories this week. He has not fought since December 2nd, 2018. He lost to Shogun Hua. To me, this is kind of one of the more interesting storylines of this UFC card is what does Tyson Pedro look like? I mean, there was a time you, you, you know, when he came into UFC, this was like, okay, man, this is a guy we got to be looking out for. So, to me, that's one of the more interesting stories. Yeah, I mean – it felt like a lot more at the time, but he, he won those two fights to start off, and it just felt like this was a light heavyweight that was going to be a part of the picture, you know? And it wasn't just because he won, but it's the way he finished Khalil Roundtree and Paul Craig. He just beat these guys so quickly, and he did it in a diverse way. So, yeah, Tyson has always shown uh, – Tyson showed a major upside to start his career, and it's just a, a name I hadn't thought about in a very long time. So when you have – basically a four-year gap from the last time you compete he he might be one of the big stories man but i i do think you know i i think the main card is solid on this show like the main event is good it's not a great main event but it's good lamos and andrage is a fine fight at straw weight i'm thinking lamos will beat andrage there i'm excited for clay guida to see him fight again he it was nice to see him get his hand raised the last time out <laughs> did uh uh did you see the ufc put out a burp and slap montage on instagram that's hilarious i didn't see that yeah i, I want to say it was a real they put out it's just a montage of clay burping in between rounds and his brother jason smacking the hell out of him before a fight 
you know, if there's one fight I would want to see Diego Sanchez in, it might be against Clay Guida again. That was uh, that was one hell of a freaking fight, dude. Clay seemed like a guy that I always just. I don't. I. I just think he's going to lose. Think he's going to lose, and then he just he keeps going out there. And, and I was listening to uh, Claudio did an interview, and you know he's like he's like man he goes I never thought at this point in my career I'd be fighting a Hall of Famer, you know. But that's what he is. I mean, uh, Clay is you know obviously in the Hall of Fame for for his fight there, but um, you know this is a guy that I think you constantly kind of count out, and and the guy just continues to show that he can still compete with all these guys. But yeah, it's like man. unfortunately if you're Clay Guida, it's like, dude, do you seriously have to give me every prospect every fight? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's like, you really giving me the Joe Silva playbook once again? Uh, he goes, can't I, me and Jim Miller just fight 20 times? Yeah, that I would love to see. I love I love me Clay Guida, bro. I mean, yeah, I grew up on him. And uh, what? It was him versus Roger Huerta. I remember that fight. Um, I, think, I think the best fight of the whole weekend, though, behind Horiguchi and Mix, is probably Veneta Jordan, I think. Like... I, I, one, I think in terms of entertainment, yeah. I would, I would, yeah, I would I mean, agree with you. I mean, Stouts Archuleta means more. Andrade Lemos means more. But Jordan Veneta is probably going to be the best in like action fight of the, of the whole weekend. Like that disappointment viewing. Like, look, if you tell me from an action perspective, to me, the two fights that stick out is that one, Veneta and Jordan, and then Yancey and Sanchez. Yeah, I think those are the two. Uh, for sure, I, I, without a doubt, I think you know you could you could really put together a phenomenal ten fight card between these three three t- these three nights of action if you so choose. Also, uh, Macy Barber, always someone to keep an eye on. Uh, she's had stumbles, but early on the thoughts were this could be a champion. Montana De La Rosa is a great matchup. She's a tough fighter. It's it's, it's a good fight there. She's only 23 years old, too. I think he, that's one of those stats I think we forget about, you know, and obviously the injury she had with it, with the knee injury from from the Roxy fight. Uh, you know, my only concern with her in that fight is is if she gets put on her back and Montana can just work uh, from top position there. Um, but, uh, you know, look, I think overall it's a nice weekend uh, of fights. Uh, I do like Jessica Andrade in the main event. I think if Lamos wins, I think it's to be a stoppage within the first 12 minutes. If, if you tell me this hits round four, I think it's Andrade's fight to lose. Yeah, I can understand that. Andrade is a tough one to finish, too. And and she's, oh, God. I mean, it, it's tough picking against Andrade. But, again, I, I like Lemos. I just feel like right now she's in her prime. But, man, you think back to some of those beatdowns Jessica Andrade does from top position. Oof, she could absolutely do it again. It's, it's I'm excited, bro. It, it's a good little weekend. It's not a great weekend. You know, they don't need to sell tickets, but yeah, it's kind of like we're in a holding pattern until they go back on pay-per-view. But, uh, oh God, the Marlon Vera Rob font fight is awesome. Uh, dude, I'm looking at this April 30th card on Wikipedia and on Wikipedia, they only have four. Oh, never mind. <laughs> they only, I, I was going to say they only have four fights on the fight card, but they have a whole bunch of things under in an announced bout. So, you know, uh, my bad. Andre Arlovsky. Man, we have a Guido one week, Andre Arlovsky the following week. We're lucky. Usually, uh, my, my go-to is, is your topology or the ESPN MMA page. Yeah, no, I'll never get off Wikipedia. That's uh, that's my drug. I mean, you, you usually send me the fight card, so I don't get it wrong, but it's... I love back in the day when I would analyze the fight that was already canceled because I have it Wikipedia on my screen. But usually topology is kind of the best one because because obviously it tells you what you know bouts have, have sizzled out. That's usually my go to is topology. 
Yeah. Especially when yeah. you talk about regional fighters, I, I feel like you get you get more um, there. So like, so you've got uh, Jay Collier, Andre Arlovsky, uh Darren Elkins, Tristan Conley, Merchart, Jocko, Gordon, Dawson. By the way, Grant Dawson now training an American top team. Uh, he left uh, James Krause's gym, trained down there at ATT. Uh, Feely, Brito, Mazzani, Young, Da Silva, Figueredo, uh, Breeden, Levy. Carlos Candelario makes his official UFC debut on that one. Yeah, they've had uh, one, two, three, four, five fizzled or canceled bouts on this card. One of them was Cerrone Lausanne, which is now taking place at the uh, the pay-per-view. Yeah. That, uh, I that mean, like, look, I'm just like, can we just get away from the Apex cards, please? Yep. Yep. I don't think I don't think they're ever going away. I really don't. No, I mean it, it just makes a whole lot of sense financially for them and money is one of the driving factors of all businesses across this great country. So it, it, I understand, but yeah, as a viewer, as a fan, you know if it's a fight card that's not on the apex, they have to put on more fights to sell tickets and here, you know, there isn't a whole lot. But the main events are generally pretty damn good and Font Vera certainly is Oh my God, that's a great fight. They sell tickets for for those Apex cards. I mean, it's very obviously very limited. It's but it's like crazy. I think it's like fifteen hundred dollars a ticket. I don't know who would spend that much money on on Apex cards. That's 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 just that should be illegal. <laughs> you, like, apparently, you have too much money. Yeah, I mean, you spend like your one your the price for your ticket is like one tenth of a purse of a fighter fighting on that card. You know what I did, by the way, speaking of that pay-per-view that's coming up, uh, mentioned about that uh, Claudio who's taking on Quay Weida on, on Saturday. He was on the Anakin Ford podcast. They asked him to pick a winner of uh, Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira. What do you think he said? Gaethje? No, he picked Charles Oliveira. I was surprised wow. by that answer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, say, as why? I think of that fight right now, I think I picked Justin Gaethje. Yeah, because I feel like it's going to play out on the feet. And I feel like he's was- just going to be a crazy wild man and he's going to force Oliveira into a brawl and he's going to knock him out yeah and you know Oliveira is tough he is someone who like will get rocked but will survive but yeah I just think the powers is is a it, it's a big difference but at the end of the day like you know Charles man the run Oliveira is on is absurd like he has just put so many lightweights away you know it's a if it goes to the ground, I know who I'm picking. And again, Oliveira's stand-up is, is, is uh, unbelievable. But the offensive firepower from Gaethje, to me, is a bit too much on the feet between these two. I would tell you, I was actually uh, I was looking ahead at that card, and I was looking at the betting odds on that one. I was actually surprised that Rose Namajunas is not a bigger favorite than what she is. When I looked the other day, she was only like minus 170, and I was like, wow, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, she's uh, she's now minus anywhere from minus 165 to minus 190. I feel like that number's too low. Yeah, I, I, I kind of see what you're saying. Like, Rose would be my pick, too. But I think it's obvious what the path to victory is for Esparza, and she can absolutely execute it, right? You have to pay respect to her just using her wrestling. I remember the thing I want to mention about Corey Anderson. After that fight was over, I kind of put a tweet out basically saying, who who do you think is the best light heavyweight in the world right now? Because I don't think there's a clear answer. With John Jones not a part of this division anymore, you know, the most popular answer I got was Yuri. Yeah, that's who I would say it would be. And I, I think it's probably because in addition to being a, a supremely talented his fight style is a lot more exciting. Yeah, so I think yeah. there's a, a, a I think there's a bias towards that. Like the idea of finishing a guy 
with your stand-up means you're better than a guy who maybe uses his wrestling to win when maybe that's not the actual question you're asking. But when you're saying, like, who's the baddest man on the planet? Yuri Prochaska, he fits that, like, that mold versus Corey Anderson. You know, he may be beast in 25-8, but not so much. I but would, he, he's, yeah. I would be shocked if we don't have a Yuri versus Ankali of title fight within the next two years. Yeah, I, I think that is uh, – unless one of these two guys just flames out, which we have seen at light heavyweight before, I, I think without a doubt oh, those light, are the two. Light heavyweight is so open right now. It is, man. I, I think the complete makeup of that top ten will will change drastically in, in the next few years. I really do. Yeah, I mean, no no question about it. But, uh, of course, appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download, listen to this episode of the podcast. Do want to thank my guests, Yancey Medeiros and Justin Gonzalez, coming on this week's edition of the show. Of course, uh, be sure to check out uh, the MMA Report on YouTube. You can catch uh, other interviews on there as well, uh, including got an interview with Nainoa Dung that is coming out on Thursday of this week. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report podcast, which comes out every week on your favorite podcasting platform and RadioInfluence.com. 